In this episode of Fictional Hangover, we talk about immediate murder, death threats in Comic Sans, and dealing with a coked-up tween with hormones in our discussion of A Study in Charlotte by Brittany Cavallero. everybody, welcome to Fictional Hangover, a podcast about young adult and new adult and sometimes other books, series, authors, voice actors, and illustrators that is full of spoilers. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire. And today we're going to discuss A Study in Charlotte by Brittany Cavallari. Standard disclaimer. If you haven't read this book, please remember that Fictional Hangover is all about spoilers. If you haven't read or listened and don't want to be spoiled, stop listening to us and go read or listen to the book. Then come back. If you haven't done this but want to pretend that you have, or if you don't care about spoilers, or if you just like the show so much that you don't care about any of that, then listen up. Cool. <laughs> I'm having to stop myself from going, it's not Brittany Cavallaro who wrote a study in Charlotte. <laughs> Why? What? Oh. Because it's Sherlock Holmes. You're right. It was Sherlock Holmes who wrote the book. It was Sherlock Holmes. (laughs) (laughs) He wrote his own books. He did. Autobiographies. They're all nonfiction. Damn Damn you, Arthur Conan Doyle. (laughs) Damn you. He was into ghosties, fun fact. Oh. It's delightful. I, too, am into ghosties. Me too. Oh, we, I wish I'd left my ghosty hat on now. Okay. Should have. But you didn't. I'll have to do a ghosty book and I'll wear my ghosty beanie. We do need to do a ghosty book. You know, October is right around the corner. I'm sure we're going to do something at least halfway spooky. I, I will put it on. It'll be my um, safety beanie okay. for the month. Good. Safe. It keeps all the monsters away. That's good. Except for we are going to have a Halloween episode again where we will be when dressed I'm, up, I'm sure. Ooh. Please comment with costume ideas. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, please do. Anywho, uh, Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes is what we're talking about the today. Movie. And it's still August. So it's still August. we're not quite in spooky season yet. But I feel like we're, we're always in always spooky, in spooky season, season in our hearts. Take that back. I can't wait for my pumpkin spice lattes. Anywho. Let's get some background information on the study in Charlotte. Not the Arthur Conan Doyle one, the Brittany Calavero one, please. Yes. I read an interview and I am being a poor librarian right now because I did not include my sources, (gasps) which in the notes here, which nobody, nobody gets to see, but in the notes, I made a space. For me to go back and put in where I got my information from, and then I didn't do it. So anyway, I read an interview. Right in the nuggets. I know. I'm sorry. I can I can get it. I can retrieve it, but I didn't. I didn't do it today. I'll let you off. Hold on, for the love of fuck! Now I gotta do it. <laughs> Just hold on, everyone. Hold everybody. I'm not putting any pressure. Everybody, on you to get hold it. everybody's horses. I just wrote in text citation because <laughs> that's what I do at work. <laughs> okay. 
To be fair, though, I am the person who harasses people to make sure that their reference is there. Yeah. So. Okay. So this interview was with ChiReviewOfBooks.com. There. There. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yes. Do you feel better as well? I do. I felt really gross about it. Anyway. So in this interview... The author is asked, why tackle serious issues like sexual assault and drug addiction in a YA series? Which, trigger warning, spoiler alert, these things happen in this series. The response is, there are so many wonderful YA novels that take on those subjects straightforwardly and make them the main crux of their story. I think it's invaluable to be a teenager who's feeling lost, alone, and overwhelmed, and to have access to stories that might mirror theirs to show they're not alone, which is one of the things that I believe in most as a librarian. She goes on to say, When I started imagining a study in Charlotte, I knew I wanted to address those topics in a more of a slow burn kind of way. They're part of Charlotte's story, but they're not her whole story, and we'll see the effects of them more and more as the rest of the trilogy plays out. And I just think that it's so important for people to be able to see themselves in books Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and these two things which we'll discuss later after the summary are two of the things that i like the most about this book representation matters it does it really really does um and i am glad that it wasn't shied away from in this series Mm mm-hmm and at times it wasn't comfortable in the book. Mm-hmm. However, you know, everybody knows we've already given you the trigger warning. We do not go into gruesome details. No. It's Mm-mm. passing comments. Yes. Um, because we care about our listeners. And I'm glad that it was kept true to that Sherlock story mm-hmm. because Sherlock was a troubled individual, mm-hmm. which people often forget. They do, especially, you know, when it's Robert Downey Jr. or yeah. Benedict Cumberbund. 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 Yes. Yeah. They see the genius, not the problems behind the genius. Right. So I'm glad that it was kept in. Me too. It's one of my favorite things. But we're not there yet because we don't even know what's happening in this book yet. Something happens in this book. Things happen in books, (laughs) shockingly enough. Do you have any initial thoughts before we crack on? Um, it was an interesting take on the Sherlock Holmes story I like the like it's a gender reverse Mm -hmm. Um, it's about bloody time the girl is the one who is the genius I I read a lot of interviews that talked about that and about the relationship that they develop and like why didn't you just have two you know cisgendered heterosexual people and maybe they could just have a platonic relationship and she's like have you read any of these books that this book is based on like pretty sure sherlock and watson had something going on so it was oh it was fun it was fun but you know she also talked about girls wanting to girls needing to be able to kick butt too and be geniuses yes yeah yes so my initial thought is 
that this book was recommended to me a while ago by a coworker of mine at the library. And we finally got around to covering it because it fits in with our theme of boarding school. But this coworker who suggested this book to me is now one of our super fans and she joined our Patreon. So I just want to say thank you, Lindsay. Here is a shout out in an episode for you. I'm sure there will be many, many, many more to come. But thank you for recommending this book to me a long, long time ago. And here we are now talking about it on Fictional Hangover. We should have had her on for Would You Rather. I know. I know. I wanted to, but literally in time, she just joined our Patreon like yesterday. So yesterday as day of recording, not day of release. So it would have been really hard to, to get her on. But she will join us for a future episode, I am certain. And she will love it and she'll have she so much will. fun. She will. Yes. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you for suggesting this book to us. Or me or both of us or however anyone wants to take that. Because she she could have been, this could have been like a long game for her. She oh. just wanted to see. <gasps> She's playing Sherlock games She's playing Sherlock games with us. She That was her test. She wanted to see, you know, okay, as soon as they cover this book that I recommended on Fictional Hangover, that's when I will join their Patreon. And it happened. We've built a story around this. Smart. Devious. That's the truth. Is it Sherlock games or is it Moriarty games? Lindsay's pretty precious, so I don't think she's a Moriarty. She could be playing with you. She could be, but I just really don't think so. She's one of the purest, most delightful people that I know. Okay. And I don't even that. know why she likes me because I'm dead inside. You're not dead inside. <laughs> yes, I've hugged I you. I know there's actual running blood in your veins. Anyway, let's get let's started. Check that out. Go, go, go and <laughs> yeah. watch our episode on yeah, YouTube. Yeah, go do that. Where we're together in the same room. Yes, that's delightful. Okay, this is going to be a long summary because it's a mystery book. Which means you gotta yeah. include all the details. Or most of them. Mm. I don't know. Red herrings. So mm. many red herrings. Okay, let's do this. Jamie Watson, great, great, great grandson of Dr. John Watson, doesn't have many friends, and he doesn't really want to be playing rugby on scholarship for Sheringford School in Connecticut, so near his father, but his mother can't really afford to keep paying his tuition at a school in London, so here he is. There is one aspect of being at Sheringford that he has looked forward to his entire life, though. Meeting his other half. His best friend? Who? Perhaps his soulmate? Charlotte Holmes. All his life, he's imagined he and Charlotte to be solving mysteries and going on quests, but his mother has warned him against her. She thinks all the Holmeses are a little off, but as his father says, she's only a Watson by marriage. Or was because they're divorced now and Jamie is at school about to meet Charlotte for the first time at a poker game except he runs away instead (laughs) 
A little while later, while deep in thought about Charlotte, Jamie Lee runs into her. He awkwardly, of course, introduces himself, but they both already know who the other is without the introductions. Charlotte doesn't seem to be very interested, but as they apart, she mentions a dance that's coming up soon. Later, eating lunch on the quad with his roommate and his buddies, one of them looks through Jamie's journal that he would normally keep out of reach of others because he likes to keep his writing private. The other boys ask if he's written dirty stuff in there about Charlotte since he was seen talking the other day. One guy, Dobson, takes it too far, seeing he's had his way with her already and talks about her using lots of drugs. This enrages Jamie, who knows that's not true, and since he has quite an anger problem, he punches the guy in the face. Deserved. Then is promptly punched back and pinned down. Damn it. Charlotte comes up and yells at both boys. <laughs> She's pretty badass. She's pretty badass. She really is. <laughs> Jamie is, of course, punished for punching Dobson, but it's not all that bad. He can't play rugby or do anything social for a little while, but he gets to keep his rugby scholarship and he can still go to the homecoming dance, though he wishes that he couldn't. People are talking about him now, some good and some bad, but then things get so much worse because that same night Dobson is found murdered in his room and everyone thinks Jamie's responsible and a detective (laughs) there wants to question him. But the dorm mother, Mrs. Dunham, refuses on his behalf unless a parent is with him. (laughs) Immediate murder. God damn it. (laughs) Immediate murder. Jamie sneaks out later in search of Charlotte, who he finds dressed as a burglar outside in the quad. They both know that neither are responsible for Dobson's murder, and now Charlotte wants to investigate. I love that she's just out there, solid black, head to toe, literally dressed as a literal burglar. I imagine the mask, the black and white striped top. Yeah. And the bag of bag marked swag. Yeah, or just like a dollar sign on the bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. She's a literal burglar. <laughs> After examining the ground for footsteps, Jamie and Charlotte scale the ivy outside of the building up to Dobson's window, which Charlotte already knows is his. Charlotte has everything she needs to investigate, and Jamie is impressed. They look around, or Charlotte does. Jamie mostly just. You know, panics. (laughs) (laughs) Charlotte finds some pieces of evidence that she collects, including some spit and some things that look like onion skins, and sees a glass of milk and a slide whistle and a vent above the bed. They sneak back out of the window just as people approach the door and then head separately to Charlotte's lab, a storage room full of chemistry equipment in the sciences building. While Charlotte does science... Science! Science! Jamie naps on the small, bloody love seat in her little lab. (laughs) The room is full of books, including a complete Sherlock set and various other things, like poison. And a jar of teeth. And some vulture skeletons. (laughs) This is just your storage room. Open a cupboard, Amanda. No! 
classes are canceled for the day, but Jamie is supposed to meet with the detective and his father, who he hasn't seen or spoken to in years. Charlotte deduces a lot about Jamie from his trepidation to see his estranged father, but when the time comes, she walks with him and they go in for questioning together. She discovered in her sciencing that Dobson was poisoned and has a vial that probably proves that in her pocket. I mean, how admissible is that, really? Science! Science! In fiction. (laughs) Jamie's dad seems quite delightful and he gives Charlotte a hug and tells a detective of the time when she was ten and solved a missing diamonds mystery. As one does. (laughs) They both had alibis for the night of the murder and tell mostly true stories about why they disliked Dobson, with the elder Watson taking notes seemingly for funsies. But afterwards, the detective asks why Charlotte didn't reveal that she had had sex with Dobson and asks why he would have had a Sherlock book from the library. She says she was on a lot of drugs at the time and it wasn't consensual, which makes Jamie really, really mad. There's that temper of his again. After punching the ball and speaking to his father, he calms down a little and his father insists that he and Charlotte join him for dinner over the weekend. Charlotte comes out a little bit later and though Jamie knows about the drugs, I mean, come on, she's a Holmes after all, (laughs) he's still mad about the rape. Charlotte tells him that she gave the vial to detective and they are being framed. Damn it. Of course they are. Of course course they they are. Of course. After telling Jamie that she doesn't want him to pity her, which he doesn't, she explains how they're being framed, but not by whom or why. All of the things they found, the onion skins, which are actually snake scales, the milk, the whistle, and the vent, are part of the first Sherlock Holmes mystery, though that story included a non-existent swamp adder and this one is a rattlesnake. She also reveals that Dobson was poisoned with arsenic in small amounts, coinciding with the day that Jamie punched him, which was only a few days after the rape. Someone who knows Sherlock and Watson's stories is now framing the present-day Sherlock and Watson. But why? Funsies! Whee! Reporters swarm the school after they learn about the murder. The town drug dealer tells them that Charlotte is a murderer and Jamie is her henchman and everyone avoids them because they obviously think that they're murderers. <laughs> Tom, Jamie's roommate, eventually realises that Jamie is not a murderer, which is good. <laughs> Took his time about it, but still. And instead of spending time in his room, Jamie spends most of it in Sciences 442, which is Charlotte's lab. They become much closer and fight all the time about silly things and not so silly things like the fact that Charlotte is still taking drugs. Shortly after that fight, her pills are gone and she's taken up smoking instead, which is not quite as terrible. It's bad, but it's not quite as terrible, perhaps. It's subjective. You can't, you probably can't overdose easily from smoking cigarettes. I would suspect not. Let's not try it, though. Let's not no, let's I'm not, not no. do that science. No. I'm vanilla, I don't do drugs. Mm-mm, me neither. I'm so boring. Coffee. I do coffee. Yeah. Mmm, cheese. Mm. Anywho, Jamie gives Charlotte candy and she learns to play Nirvana on her violin. They really do seem to be quite good friends. Now they need to solve Dobson's murder. 
Charlotte wants to go to the school infirmary to see if Dobson had gone there complaining of symptoms of arsenic poisoning and convinces Jamie to talk to Nurse Bryony while she snoops through records. That plan fails. So Charlotte decides to sneak in overnight. The next day, Jamie comes to Charlotte's lab after classes to find Detective Shepard leaving. Charlotte tells him about Dobson's records and the arsenic and then about all the poisons that she has. It's clear she wants to work with the police, but that's not going so well. Jamie wants to do something to help, so they decide to make a suspect list, which includes various exes of theirs, one of which is August Moriarty. Yes, there is a Moriarty descendant, too. Charlotte then puts on a wig and makeup and turns herself into a ditzy California girl and hopes of interrogating students at the school. She tells Jamie to meet up with her later at her poker game. Totally. Oh my god. Let's play poker. But she doesn't show up. <laughs> Jamie talks to Lena. Charlotte's roommate, who, unlike everyone else, doesn't think he and Charlotte are murderers. She does think that Jamie is a good match for Charlotte, since they're both British, and that he came along at just the right time to cure Charlotte from missing August. Wait, August Moriarty? Surely not. Lena explains she overheard Charlotte talking to her older brother Milo about August, and that he said he would deal with him. Hmm. 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 Lena changes the subject to the homecoming dance and if Jamie has asked Charlotte, but no. He doesn't think she'd want to go. But where is she? Jamie leaves Lena with Tom when he arrives to go find Charlotte. Charlotte is passed out asleep in her room, still dressed in her California babe costume. I don't want to do it anymore. She tells you. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> She tells Jamie that she didn't learn anything interrogating first-year students, but she did pickpocket a few of them. Result. They decide to use that stolen money and Lena's car to go get a late-night breakfast. Waffle House, anyone? Oh, I I dream. I dream. (laughs) In the parking lot at 3 a.m. after they eat, a car quickly drives away from them. So, of course, they follow at breakneck speeds. Charlotte describes seeing someone who Jamie thinks looks like the school drug dealer, but Charlotte doesn't think so. The driver eventually crashes and runs off into the woods. Jamie and Charlotte try to catch him, but it's no use. Charlotte now thinks it was one of her brother Milo's men checking up on her and investigating Jamie. Why else would they have had on very expensive shoes? Charlotte takes something from the car and they head back to school. Homecoming arrives, but Jamie has no plans to attend. He's kind of worried about a lot of things, you know, school, homework, everybody thinking he's a murderer. You know, the usual. Mrs. Dunham stops by since everyone else is at the dance and they talk about poetry because Jamie is struggling with that bit of his homework. But then Charlotte arrives in a stunning dress and gives him to the count of 100 to be ready to go to the dance. The dance is pretty mediocre, really, and they split up and spend it talking to suspects, like Jamie's teacher, Mr Wheatley, whose date says he knows a lot about Dobson and Bryony, the school nurse who seems to like watching teen boys. Ew. Creepy. <laughs> Gross. 
Jamie finds Charlotte outside near the end of the dance looking at a notebook, which is the thing she took from the drug dealer crashed car, whatever that was. And it is filled with scrawls in Charlotte's own handwriting that say she's a murderer. Oh. It's a forger's notebook. So she obviously didn't write over and over and over and over and over again that she is a murderer. But it's discomforting nonetheless. Jamie knows that Charlotte didn't kill Dobson. But this notebook says she's a murderer. Did she kill August Moriarty? He asks, which is the exact wrong thing to do. And Charlotte storms away. Jamie catches her and turns her around again wrong thing to do. Don't touch people without their permission. But then that's forgotten when they nearly trip over another body. For fuck's sake. Damn it. Murderer! That we're getting bonus points in this month's I know. book club clean. So We've got two bodies so much far. murder. Love it. Well, Jamie and Charlotte tend to the girl, Elizabeth, who is not quite dead yet. She's choking on something. Charlotte reaches down her throat and removes a sparkling blue diamond. Just like the Sherlock Holmes story, the adventure of the blue carbuncle. Except it's a plastic diamond and, you know, not a real jewel. As people are rushing around calling 911 and also shouting that Jamie and Charlotte are murderers again, they spot a blonde guy from their car chase and take off after him. This chase leads to service tunnels for the school and to a secret underground murder lair that appears at first to be Charlotte's secret underground murder lair. Of course, it's not her secret underground murder lair. It's far too obvious for that. The police arrived at the scene just before they chased the guy, and now they're here at the secret underground murder lair, too. But the blonde guy is nowhere to be found. And so Jamie and Charlotte are handcuffed, and they have to go in for questioning. Oh, nuts. At the station, they are put in separate rooms, and Charlotte's interview is first. Jamie thinks things over and plans out what he's going to say, almost convincing himself that he is indeed a murderer. <laughs> but then a speaker crackles to life, and he can hear Charlotte's interview. She's telling the detective that she had been in the murderer lair before, but with the campus drug dealer doing hard drugs, which would explain any old fingerprints they may have found. The detective then tries to pin everything on Jamie, suggesting that he's her lapdog or lackey or something, but she surprisingly stands up for him. She insists that they call Scotland Yard as a reference to her skills, and then the interview stops when Jamie's dad arrives to take him home. Charlotte comes too, of course. Because of course she does. Of course she does. They sleep until evening the next day, and when Jamie wakes, he finds Charlotte in the kitchen with his dad. While they wait for Detective Shepard to come by, Jamie's dad gets to listen as Charlotte and Jamie work out that he and Charlotte's uncle Leander, who is Jamie's dad's best friend and former roommate, have orchestrated Jamie's rugby scholarship, which brought him to Connecticut and to school with Charlotte. It's pretty gross, actually. Convoluted. And Jamie is mad, but then the detective arrives. Jamie thinks they're going to be arrested and hauled away, but Charlotte has a plan. Charlotte always has a plan. Shepard has a photo lineup of drug dealers and Jamie picks out the guy they've been seeing, who calls himself John Smith, and who turned himself in that morning. Yeah, that's odd. 
Then, while Shepard is interviewing them, he gets a phone call. Lena, Charlotte's roommate, was attacked by a man in a ski mask shortly after a mysterious package containing a small ivory box was delivered to their room. This is another Sherlock story, The Adventure of the Dying Detective, about Culverton Smith, a man who was foiled by Sherlock, who believes he has infected and is killing the detective by inserting a poison spring in a box and mailing it to him. Sherlock always inspects his mail and is faking the whole thing, of course. In this instance, Lana was in on the plot, anxious to help her friend at the exact moment when she needed it. Shepard now believes that Charlotte and Jamie are innocent, because why would a Holmes set up this elaborate hoax? <laughs> Clearly, the detective doesn't know how clever Charlotte and her family are. Clearly, he's never read the books. Never. After this, Charlotte and Jamie are allowed to assist in the case. But if they don't have it solved in a month, they're not allowed to help anymore. <laughs> Grounded. Charlotte insists that Detective Shepard send her information about the snake from Dobson's death and pretty much all school records, especially those for students and faculty from Europe. He doesn't want to, but he eventually agrees. A little later, Jamie decides to go see Elizabeth at the hospital. He learns that the unknown guy who attacked her said, give my regards to Charlotte Holmes before running away. Well, that just can't be good at all. <laughs> Jamie and Charlotte spend quite some time after this watching security footage, trying to find out if the drug dealer they've seen is John Smith, but they can't spot him. Jamie asks Shepard if he can visit with John Smith just you know, to see him, to see if it's the same guy, but he hanged himself just that morning. <laughs> Shucks. Typical. Well, now off to the morgue. <gasps> Road trip. <laughs> that was that was last month. Oh. While they're in the morgue, they discover that John Smith is associated with the Moriartys. <gasps> Gasp! <laughs> Jamie spends some time after this obsessing over all the Moriartys. Who could be behind this? Not Hadrian and Philippa. They're art collectors. Not Lucian. He's an advisor for the British Parliament. I'm sorry, out of that list. Come on. <laughs> he does have a lot of money he uses to pay people off, though. Hmm. Maybe it's August, Lucian's younger brother, who maybe Charlotte killed. Jamie still doesn't know, and internet searches show nothing about him for the last two years. Jamie's got all this murder boarded all over Charlotte's lab, and he comes in to find it with information about John Smith. He was Philippa's driver until he disappeared a few months ago. So Philippa is behind all this? Surely not. Charlotte thinks that maybe all the Moriartys are involved somehow, like a rat king all twisted up in each other's lives. So they'll start to researching. I just really appreciate the good use of a murder board. Yes. And I was worried that they weren't going to have one. But then they do. They have a murder board. Love a murder board. So it's fine. Okay. Um, so you said that they start re researching, um, mm. but it's actually oh. just Charlotte because Jamie, Jamie is, look, 
I like Jamie, but he's just, he's not able to think in the same way that Charlotte does, though he does still think August is behind everything. Jamie reaches out to his dad for help in dealing with Charlotte's study habits and obsessions, and he replies with an email containing a 120-plus step guide to assisting a Holmes, which Jamie finds quite useful. There's information about looking out for opiates, not eating any of their food, when he'll receive a compliment, and how to convince them to do something without it seeming pushy. These are You know for a fact this is passed down from Watson to Watson. Oh, of course it is. Of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> to try to help in some way, Jamie suggests he chat up some of his rugby bros for details about Dobson, but Charlotte thinks he's a terrible liar and that he won't do a good job investigating unless he goes through a rigorous training session with her. His chat with the Ruggers starts out miserably and he eventually learns that Dobson was taking prescription protein powder that he got from the nurse so he definitely needs to talk to her or get Charlotte a way in to investigate. How does he do that? Well, a spectacularly impressive save in rugby practice that gives him a concussion. That's how. You know, he's got to... Yay for brain trauma. He's got to use his head somehow. Yes, he has to have brain trauma in order to use his head. Yes. Bless Jamie. When Jamie comes to in the infirmary, Charlotte is swooning over him. Nurse Bryony is there too, and when she leaves the room, Charlotte tells Jamie that she found some empty prescription protein powders, but they only tasted like powder, nothing poisonous, because she tasted them, because of course she did. They also realize that Nurse Bryony's speech patterns, while sounding American, are definitely British. But since she's only in her early 20s, it's unlikely that Charlotte could have unknowingly wronged her in some way as a child. (laughs) While Charlotte knows Bryony's hiding something, she's probably not responsible, but they remain wary of her anyway. Jamie really thinks they should be investigating August Moriarty, but Charlotte dismisses the idea. I mean, really? I feel like you should probably listen to Charlotte. She's very cagey about our Yeah, she is. And Jamie's not listening. He's not using his active listening ears. He's not using his head in this instance. Probably he's concussed at this point. He's still concussed a little bit. Yeah. Well, when Jamie is finally able to leave the infirmary with his concussion, Mrs. Dunham escorts him back to his room and gets him tucked up in bed. She shares with him that the Sherlock Holmes stories were her favourite as a kid and that she's glad he and Charlotte are friends. Tom comes in then with some dinner and asks a lot of questions about Charlotte, but then she comes in too, telling Jamie that she's got a date. It's fake, of course, but then she and Jamie send texts back and forth while talking aloud about her fabricated date about Mr. Wheatley, Jamie's teacher, and his brother, who has a snake farm. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> what? Why does somebody have a snake farm? I don't know. <sighs> anyway, now Jamie's going to have to figure out a way to talk to his writing teacher about snakes. <laughs> surely that that's a limerick that's a limerick he can do it i believe in him (laughs) after 
class, Jamie hangs back to ask Mr. Wheatley for help. Jamie is a good writer, but he's struggling with how to include Dobson's death in his work. Mr. Wheatley agrees that Jamie is very good, but if he needs help, they should write things down, so he gets out a legal pad and begins working through details with Jamie. Mr. Wheatley knows an awful lot about everything, even that Dobson was bitten by a snake, and he seems to know even more about Charlotte and her brother Milo. This is weird, and Jamie immediately suspects him, but then he rips the paper out and gives it to Jamie after writing the phone number of a therapist at the top. Surely he can't have anything to do with it. That seemed like a nice thing to do. It does. It seems like a really nice thing to do. But, I mean, if you want to be suspicious, he could have done a carbon copy of the of what he's written underneath. Or, like, you know, with the pencil and you've got to rub it over oh, the yeah. top. Oh, yeah. He totally could have done that. I mean, you know, it's poetry. Anyway. Back in Charlotte's lab, after Jamie recounts his chat with Wheatley and the fact that he doesn't think either him or Bryony are responsible and that they should be talking about August Moriarty, Charlotte accuses Jamie of being jealous. Oh. I mean... He was accurate. 100% jealous. Completely. Jamie suggests that they take a night off and go eat pancakes. I agree. And start again <laughs> the next day. Or even call in Charlotte's family for help. But she gets furious. She tells Jamie he's extraordinarily useless, which is delightful, and that she should probably solve all of this faster without him, which is probably accurate. Probably true. 100% true. Jamie goes back to his room and finds Tom in there watching porn and eating Jamie's food. Normal student behavior. I mean, it kind of is. Anyway, normally it's fine that they share things, but Jamie is pissed off about everything right now. He starts talking aloud about how Charlotte's acting, and Tom tells Jamie about a bad friend that he used to have. Then he asks for more details about what he and Charlotte have been dealing with. Jamie explains everything about how he just talked to Wheatley and the concussion he got to investigate Bryony and all the stuff with the Moriarty's. Tom agrees that Charlotte is being unreasonable, but then he leaves to meet up with Lena. Jamie sits on his bed, still mad, and then he sees a reflection from Tom's mirror into his own mirror and spots a weird light shining from behind it. Jamie looks closer and discovers there is a hidden camera behind his mirror that turns out to be one way. He flips out with rage and shatters the mirror, then tears apart everything else on his side of the room and finds two audio recording devices too. As he's destroying his room, there's a commotion outside and Mrs Dunham tries to come in to see what's going on. When Jamie realises everything he said to Tom since Dobson's murder and everything about Wheatley, Bryony and August, he knows he's got to find Charlotte. He opens the door to find Mrs Dunham is still there and she's got terrible news the science building has exploded damn (laughs) yeah jamie takes off hoping charlotte is still alive luckily she is charlotte had gone to the bathroom when the bomb planted in her lab went off but everything in there was completely destroyed and she very nearly was jamie's dad arrives and takes them back to his house 
For a guy who hasn't been part of his life for so long, Jamie's dad is stepping up. <laughs> he seems to be a good guy. Yeah, yeah. Minus the trickery in getting his son into the country. Anyway, okay. the school is blaming the explosion on a gas leak and <laughs> has canceled classes for the rest of the semester. But... They will allow students back in their dorms to retrieve their belongings in short shifts after determining that the buildings are safe. Jamie's dad doesn't believe the gas leak story since Jamie's hands are full of glass and, you know, he and Charlotte are in the middle of a murder investigation. (laughs) Jamie explains about the cameras he found and asks his dad to give them to Detective Shepard. Then he goes to the guest room he's sharing with Charlotte. Jamie finds Charlotte asleep in bed and pulls up an air mattress on the floor next to it. As he's looking down at her, she wakes, startled, and decides they need to get back to work. Jamie convinces her to go back to sleep, but before she does, she apologises for being so awful to him. He starts to apologise too, but she stops him and tells him that she had to do something to get him out of the lab because she received a note from the murderer saying... If you keep dragging James Watson into this, he will die too tonight. He doesn't deserve it the way you do. This won't stop until you have learned your lesson. And that was all one word. It, one word, one sentence. It was all one sentence, no commas, all capital letters. Where's the grammar? With misspellings. Can we please have grammar Mm-mm. and spell check no. in threatening notes? No. The next day... Detective Shepard comes by, and they examine the note more closely. It's printed on regular printer paper in a pretty girly font, and it has a misspelling and a British spelling, and it smells like perfume, a very expensive and rare perfume that Charlotte has that was given to her by August Moriarty. Charlotte convinces the detective to interrogate Bryony because she seems like the most likely culprit. Jamie leaves the room, pretending to need more sleep, but he actually goes to his dad for research help about what happened to August, since Charlotte refuses to say anything about him. Jamie reads the articles his dad has collected over the years and learns that August was a tutor for Charlotte because her parents were trying to get rid of the bad blood between their families. 14-year-old Charlotte had a crush on 20-year-old August, but it was unrequited. To get back at him for spurning her love, Charlotte had August get her some cocaine, which she had already been using for years. When his brother, Lucian, showed up with the drugs, so did the police. And August's life went down the drain and he disappeared. So it's clearly August behind all this because Charlotte ruined his life. But Charlotte refuses to see the connection. Jamie decides to take matters into his own hands by using Charlotte's phone to text her brother Milo for help. What a vicious 14-year-old. Well, I mean, she's been coked up since she was 12. I don't want to mess with a coked up tween dealing with hormones. Oh, God. Oh, God, that sounds awful. A little while later, Charlotte tells Jamie that while he is in his dorm room gathering his things, she will go search Bryony's apartment. But Jamie says he'd rather go with her. 
Charlotte looks at Jamie then and can tell by his dour expression that he's learned some things about her that she would rather he not know. He asks her again to tell him about August, but instead of talking, she storms away. Jamie decides to give her some time to herself, but after about an hour, he remembers his dad's 120-step homes list, which mentions as numbers one and two about looking for hidden opiates in the heels of a Holmes's shoes and destroying them. Goddamn. Jamie finds Charlotte under the porch with an oxycodone, but at least she didn't overdose. She spends some time telling Jamie that he means nothing to her and she has no feelings because her parents forced them out of her after it was revealed that she had a crush on August and then ruined his life. His parents disowned him and he got kicked out of Oxford and now he's all on his own working a data entry job for Milo. He's completely forgiven Charlotte even though he had to leave his entire life, his family and his fiancée behind. If only he'd told Charlotte about his fiancée. It's not like she would have killed her or anything. Yeah, I mean, look, if you don't mm. know that the person who is at least six years older than you is engaged and you have a crush on them, if you don't know that they're engaged, like, you might accidentally get him to buy you a lot of cocaine. <laughs> These things happen, They apparently. do. They do. It's that age-old story. <laughs> Of tween cocaine having in her 20-ish something tutor. And unrequited love. And unrequited Don't love. Don't forget the unrequited love. That's important. It's a key factor in the cocaine habit of the tween. Mm. Wait a minute. <laughs> Can we just back up and talk about the fact that August had a fiancé? Like Yes. Do we know her name? Charlotte never knew, because she never knew, you know, on account of the unrequited love and the cocaine habit. So she calls Milo, who is about to get on a flight her way, but for business, not to have anything to do with her or anything. And she asks him. He refuses to tell her, thinking that she's going to eat her or something. <laughs> but after the call Perfectly ends... Normal. <laughs> After the call ends, Milo texts the name. Oh, right. August's fiance mm-hmm. was called mm. Bryony <gasps> Davis. <gasps> oh, shit. It really is Nurse Bryony. <laughs> oh, shit. But how are the Moriarty's using her? They decide to break into her apartment together while she's at the police station and have plans to have enough evidence for Detective Shepard to arrest her before her interrogation is over. When they arrive at her apartment, most of the furniture is gone and there are goons emptying out her cabinets. Milo is sitting in the living room, waiting. Ooh. Oh. Charlotte is mad that Milo is there and is taken over because she had everything handled. Milo disagrees and tries to convince her to say that Moriarty agent, who was copying her handwriting, and Bryony are working together. That the Moriartys are involved, but Charlotte still doesn't want to say that and still wants Bryony taken care of. Fine. 
Myron gives in and agrees to bring all the furniture he had his goons removed for his special agents to investigate back to the apartment. If they hadn't moved everything, Charlotte would have had enough evidence to lock Bryony away, but now they'll have to gather more. Then Jamie points out that there is a piece of snake skin on the floor, which freaks Milo out. He's put a tracking device on Bryony's car and she looks to have gone to the police station, so everything is put back the way it was. Jamie decides to keep his appointment to gather his stuff from his dorm. When Jamie gets to his room with Tom and the officer who is escorting them, he has completely forgotten about trashing it, looking for surveillance equipment. Tom freaks out, but not because the room is a mess, but because the equipment is gone. Now he's never going to get his money. What? Uh, what? What? It turns out Tom planted the camera and microphones to record everything Jamie and Charlotte said and did it. For Mr. Wheatley, who is stealing Jamie's life story for a new book series and is going to share some of his advance money with Tom. Seriously? What? The f- he was being so nice and helpful. Mm, he wasn't. I thought it was just my general sense of distrust of people. Oh, you nah. proven right. Nah. Damn it. <sighs> Don't worry. It gets worse. Oh, yay. As Jamie opens his closet to get his clothes, he feels something stab into his knuckle. Written inside the closet is... You have 24 hours to live unless she gives me what I want, XOXO, Culverton Smith. Aww. Oh, shit. Jamie... You put the XOXO on. I know. But, uh... Remember remember the Culverton Smith story from earlier? <gasps> With the poison? Oh, shit. Yeah, Jamie's been poisoned. Damn. He it's shambles out of the dorm, not really knowing where he's going because the poison is super fast acting. And then he passes out. Luckily, Charlotte finds him. He's having a dare, isn't he? God. When Jamie wakes up, he starts having hallucinations and has no idea where he is or what's going on. Luckily, the next time he comes to, Charlotte is there with a German doctor who specialises in biochemical warfare and he knows Bryony has used on him and is working on a cure. Bryony has one, of course, and texted Charlotte that unless she gives her $3 million plane tickets and turns herself in for Dobson's murder, she won't give them the antidote for Jamie's poison, and he'll die. So that's what Charlotte is going to do. Before leaving the room to let him rest, Charlotte kisses Jamie and tells him that's all she'll be able to do right now, and maybe forever because of Dobson. But that's enough for Jamie, who is a little swoony at her touch. And the poison in his And the poison. When Jamie wakes up again, he hears Bryony in the next room and falls out of his sickbed trying to get to her. Charlotte and Milo come to his aid, but before going back in the other room to face Bryony again, Charlotte tells Jamie that when he sees her blink twice, 
he needs to make his final move. Um, he's basically a walking corpse at this point, but okay. <laughs> Jamie asks Bryony why she killed Dobson and why she's got it in for them, and so, to grant his dying wish, she tells him. It's not a pretty story. Bryony said she knew Dobson was marked for death by Charlotte and Jamie, so she gave him protein powder laced with arsenic, but he started coming to see her before that at the beginning of the school year and kept coming back because she's just so pretty. Once he met Charlotte, he asked Bryony about hard drugs and the effects they had on people during sex, and Bryony knew he was targeting Charlotte. She told him that any girl would feel euphoric during sex while high on drugs which led to Dobson raping Charlotte. Gross. Bryony knew she was a little slut after what she did to her sweet Augie, which she claims ruined her entire life. After August was disowned by his family and kicked out of school, Bryony says he killed himself, and since the Moriarty's had been taking care of her because of her own family was terrible, she was alone. She was going to be a doctor, damn it! But now... Here she is, with Charlotte about to go to jail for murder. Just what Bryony always wanted, and what Charlotte deserves. Too bad she doesn't know that August is alive and well. <gasps> Oh, yeah, I wanted to vomit when she called him Augie. Like, ugh, no. Ugh, ugh. no. Ugh. That alone makes her the villain. Yeah. <laughs> ugh. At the end of the story, Charlotte blinks twice. And Jamie falls to the floor. As Bryony startles at Jamie's collapse, everyone sees she has a gun under her coat. Charlotte rushes to the bedroom to get a blanket. And when she comes back, she also has a gun. And it's pointed at Bryony. Charlotte tells Bryony she knows where she hid Jamie's antidote in his own dorm room, based on the one-way glass embedded in the soles of her shoes, and that one of her brother's men has gone to retrieve it and will arrive at any moment. She also says she knows she's wearing a wire, and that Lucian Moriarty has been helping her the entire time, because there's no way she did any of this on her own. She's right, of course. And then Milo's phone rings. Lucian tells Charlotte that he set all this up to get back at her and that he used Bryony to do it, pulling Jamie in because he's clearly the only thing Charlotte cares about. It's not like she couldn't just break out of jail if she were arrested, so hurting Jamie would be an actual punishment. Now, however, Jamie's antidote is on its way, so it seems he has been foiled. Bryony pretends to have known all of this, but no one believes her. Charlotte suggests that Milo would do with her what he does best, disappear her. Jamie's antidote arrives and is administered, so now everything's going to be fine. Five days later, Jamie and Charlotte are planning what they'll do when they're back in London. Detective Shepard came by, furious at Charlotte for taking on a murderer while her friend was dying and then disappearing her. But then she gives him a flash drive Milo used to record Bryony's confession. Jamie then tells Shepard about Mr. Wheatley and his recording devices, so that's all wrapped up too. Jamie's dad asks about him probably not coming back from London, but he assures him that he will be returning because he has a rugby scholarship after all. 
Finally, even though they're kind of snuggled together, Charlotte tells Jamie he doesn't have to pretend he's forgiven her for all she's done, for not telling him about August, for not telling him about Bryony threatening his life, but none of that matters because he's forgiven her already anyway. Aww. Let's take a break for a moment. Listen to this promo for another podcast and then come back and we will discuss this wonderful, mysterious book full of coked out tweens. Oh, coked out tweens (laughs) with hormones as well. No. Ugh. No. What's up, fellow book nerds? It's time to feed your fiction shelf addiction. Hear book club-style roundtables, bookish chats, and more. Join Tamara and her friends for fantasy and thriller read-alongs and other shenanigans over on the Shelf Addiction Podcast. Listen now on your podcatcher of choice. Subscribe for free, and you too can have a shelf addiction. Wellity, wellity, wellity. Wellity, 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 indeed. Let's go back to the beginning of the episode. And immediate the... murder. Immediate murder. Oh, <laughs> no, before that. We didn't, we didn't commit immediate no, murder. No, we didn't. Right? We didn't. No. It's before the book started. And it was in oh. the background information. Oh, the before times. In the before okay. times. Yes. So if you will recall, in the before times, when I mentioned the article that I read and then did not properly cite my sources and then had to go back and find that information so I could We've moved on from that. It's sources. okay. Yeah. Sorry. I'm still It's fine. It's fine. I know. I'm just so ashamed. Dawn, it's fine. You, you can keep your librarian card. It's okay. Okay. Keep your library card. Thank you. I will keep my library card. I have at least like eight of them. <laughs> I really appreciated that charlotte has addictions and that they were part of the story and not just ignored or brushed under the rug and that was part of the background information and i also appreciate that she was abused not that she was abused but that she was abused and that she's dealing with the repercussions and it actively shows in her character and they're not just ignoring it or like, oh, I'm totally yeah. fine. So now let's totally be boyfriend and girlfriend, okay? Like, I was just raped three days ago. Give me a kiss. Be my boyfriend. Like, that's not what happened. And I really appreciated that. So much like the fact that obviously Jamie is smitten with Charlotte. And Charlotte obviously... Is so much. Is, I know. but And Charlotte obviously, you know, has feelings for jamie too hers i feel are more platonic at the beginning but like she gives him a kiss at the very very end and is like that's all i can do because like i'm completely panicked right now and just thinking about doing anything more than that you know will shut her brain down because she was raped I don't know how much you would be able to necessarily be comfortable with physical intimacy even before that as well. Yes, um, I also got I that feeling. I got that vibe, but obviously she's she was she went through an assault and she's dealing with that assault. And I agree. Um, 
I appreciate that as well because it happens the addiction happens and I'm really pleased that you actually pulled that that information out that background information out because thinking about the books that we do cover sometimes there's mentions of addiction sometimes there's a mention of an assault but there's never really that dealing with the repercussions and the fact that it is an integral part of their character and their life and that you like you say you can't just brush it off you have to mentally and physically deal with it yeah and this book does a very good job of not necessarily because it's jamie's point of view we're Mm -hmm. seeing it from but knowing that charlotte is dealing with it and whether she's dealing it in the right way or the wrong way because of you know she's already got an addiction and she has an addictive personality Mm -hmm. she needs other methods she needs therapy she does she does she she might need uh, medication not drugs right um but that might be in the following books because you know this is a trilogy so we might see that kind of thing happen later installments but i agree i really appreciate i think i don't want to say enjoyed because it's not a matter of enjoyment it's appreciation that it's that representation like you said is there yeah and speaking of it being from jamie's perspective that's something else that i really really enjoyed too because it doesn't happen super frequently at least in ya books but i love a male protagonist in a book they they always are my favorites so i i liked that the story was from jamie's perspective and going back to the you know him he's he's got these feelings for her but he's also dealing with or or recognizing the fact that charlotte is dealing with having been assaulted and he sees it a couple of times and he realizes oh my god what i'm i need to stop what i'm doing because it's scaring her it's it, it could hurt her like when she, when he grabs her by the arm after the dance and turns her around and then he's just like standing there much bigger than she is he realizes ooh no this is what dobson would have done this is yeah. something that he would have done to hurt her yeah and then there's a time when they're in the same room together and he pulls over the mattress to lay down on the floor next to her but he's standing over her looking down at her while she's on the bed and she wakes up startled she wakes up scared but then she realizes it's fine like i'm okay and then they have a conversation but he realizes oh my god i'm standing over her i'm looming over her right now and she's in a bed and she was just in an explosion so she's gonna be rightly terrified but then there's also some times where charlotte in all her great masterful seeing of all the things that she sees at all times she sees Jamie's brain working when he starts thinking about, oh my God, this is something that he would have done and now I need to stop what I'm doing and I need to back up and I need to like take these steps backward. Yeah. And she calls him out, like, don't do it. You you didn't hurt me. Yeah. It wasn't you. Stop thinking about him. Stop getting so mad about him. Because he's dead now anyway, but still, stop it. I don't know. I just thought it was really well done. 
I really liked it. I liked the fact it was from Jamie's perspective. But to be fair, considering the original Sherlock books are written by Dr. Watson, it couldn't have been from anybody else's point of view. That is a given. But still, I did like it was from Jamie's point of view. The The worst thing I found was Jamie's pining for Charlotte. Yeah. Like, I didn't feel the romance particularly. I wasn't, like, vibing with it mm-hmm. at first. But then I was like, yeah, okay. I'm starting to... But when, as Charlotte's getting more comfortable with it, mm-hmm. I became more comfortable with it. Yeah. Which, considering it's not her point of view... I thought it was very telling of the how it's been so well written um, that Charlotte's, you know, seeing Jamie as Jamie and not seeing Jamie as a male predator. Right. Okay? If, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, sh- Jamie was, like, in- just incessantly pining for Charlotte. See, I... Point, it actually got a little bit irritated. I was a little bit irritated by it. I didn't mind it because he had this image of Charlotte from when he was a boy in his head because he knows that, you know, Watson's and Holmes's go together. So he's like fabricating all of these adventures that they've gone on. He's like, she's essentially his imaginary friend when he was a kid. And so then imagine meeting that person that you've built up so high on this pedestal in in real life and then getting to go around and solve murders like i i liked the way it was done and that he obviously was infatuated with her because they've in his mind have been together since they were children running around and playing together quite dangerous yes because he's got this preconceived notion of charlotte He's never met her. He doesn't know her. He yeah. is assuming that a, Char- a, a Sherlock, sorry, a Holmes and a Watson go together. And okay, it seems like a very natural coupling, and I get that. But if that was the case, how would he should have known Charlotte from childhood? Because his father and her parents' generation should have not coupled, but at least associated more yeah but But his father but his father wasn't in the picture his father left their parent you know his parents got divorced so he was palling around with leander and they don't it doesn't really know they don't really know each other if the watsons and the hogs were going to be sticking together as even as friends i don't know it just it felt like to me he has this image of Charlotte in his head. He's already half in love with this person he's created without knowing her at all. Mm-hmm. And I find that a little creepy. And then he's like awkwardly trying to introduce himself, which was delightful. And he's just completely awkward around her, which is, again, delightful. But then he still has this image of this girl and she isn't living up to that image. And I don't think he sees it as a bad thing. He sees it more of an obstacle to overcome. And I don't know how much he knows Charlotte until a good way through the book. Yeah. So he's pining and he's pining for Charlotte, but I don't know if he's pining for the Charlotte who's standing in front of him with all the flaws 
No. Or the Charlotte of his memory. No. He's clearly pining for his imaginary friend version of Charlotte, not the coked out hormonal 12 year old. Oh my God. Coked out tween and hormones. Yeah. No, no, the coked out tween that. with hormones. That is not who he is pining over. No. And that's just, that's just terrifying. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, don't get us wrong. I did like Jamie. Um, and I did like the way he responded to those moments with Charlotte. Because even though she said, no, don't, I think in his head he's still learning mm. that actually it's not all right for a man to approach women in those even if it's not it to be threatening even if yeah. it is just you know catching their attention with patting their arm or you know it's not any malicious intent in there but realizing actually this is it's an ingrained fear within women mm-hmm. to be naturally wary yeah um and it's very it's very of the moment. It's very relevant right now yeah. for that to be understood and appreciated. Yeah. So yeah, I, and so I, even though Charlotte's going, no, no, it's not you, and trying to talk him out of it, he's not. He's not stopping from learning those lessons. Yeah, and I appreciate that. I appreciate that I about do him. Appreciate that. I do. Um, on a lighter note. I freaking love Charlotte's weekly poker game where she gets all of her money from. Yes. And Lena just mops the floor. <laughs> and she's able to, like, uh, fund her bag obsession. Yes, she's got a purse fetish. <laughs> I freaking love it. Like, it just seems so, like, college-typical students this is what we're going to do every week we're going to play poker yeah and you're all rich kids and i'm going to take all the money off you because you know the trust fund hasn't opened up for me yeah i love it yeah i love it i'll never play poker against a home that's just that's just a very bad idea um i i would like to continue this series myself we probably you know we don't have to cover it because we have a million no, I, w- I, I want to see this one to the end actually oh okay great i love that um because i i want more lena i want yes. to see what she what shenanigans she gets up to i really liked the fact that she was ready and willing to play a you know damsel in distress and an attacked person but she was like she has no idea when charlotte is going to need her help but she knows that charlotte is going to need her help i'm sure they've had conversations about this like charlotte's like hey i'm gonna one day i might just randomly send something in the mail and you got to be on the lookout and you got to be ready to go and so she's been, like, chatting up this ex-boyfriend in the background. I mean, like, you know what I really think would be sexy? If you burst in the room wearing a ski mask. Like, she's already got this planted in this guy's head. And then however she makes it happen, it happens right when Charlotte needs it to. I just... Have you seen so those good. reels? It might be on TikTok, but you know I don't do TikTok. I, yeah, I know. Where it's the um, it's it's. I mean, to be fair, if we live closer, this is what would happen. And it's like best a call from a best friend, 
uh, bring a shovel, wear a disguise, ask no questions. And then somebody comes running out in a dinosaur, one of those blow up dinosaur costumes with, um, carrying a shovel. It's that. Mm-hmm. It's it is purely that. It's like you know, if your best friend calls and tells you wear a disguise, bring a shovel, and ask no questions, you go. You're just you bring there. A shovel. You ask no questions. Yeah. It's just I love it. I absolutely. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit and say that Lane is one of my favorite characters because she's just a friend. She's yeah. a genuinely nice person who has no ulterior motive. In this particular book, right. having not read the other two, um, but knowing how Holmes' books go, <laughs> she has no ulterior motive at all. Yeah. And I can't... I mean, I haven't read the Sherlock Holmes books. My mum has, so I'll ask her. Um, and she's seen all the TV series as, as, as of Sherlock Holmes. So I'll ask her if there is a Lena equivalent character in the stories, but I don't think there is, which is, again, what I quite like, that Charlotte has a friend, mm-hmm. where every every time I've ever seen a Sherlock Holmes story, Watson is the only friend. Yeah. And sometimes um, the detective. Yeah. And he has a, but he has a network. But I would not call them friends. Right. Associates. Yeah. Um, do you know something that I liked? Lightening things up again even more. And going back to your conversation just now about showing up randomly in a costume. I love. Come on, you girl. I love that Charlotte, like, pulls out. A container of wigs and i was like is this fucking me is yes. this me because i Mine literally the hormones in the cocaine addiction yes because I, I have just a container full of wigs that i can just pull out and then go through all the wigs and she draws her eyebrows on differently to change her whole face i was like oh my god oh my god this is me and then she even, like, stuffs her bra right in front of Jamie in one scene. And I'm like, oh, my God, she doesn't even have boobs. Is she me? Am I her? Are you Charlotte Holmes? Am I a tween with hormones addicted to cocaine? And plays the violin, Nirvana on the violin. I don't do that. I cannot play a musical instrument at all. And no. also never done coke. So. No. Probably not the same, but I really loved it. I loved it. I loved it. matters, Amanda. It does. You have your cosplay representation. I do. It's like whenever we found anybody with diabetes in a book, yes. you feel seen and you appreciate. Yes. But really, Cosplaying. just, it was, I think, the eyebrows line that got me the most. <laughs> Like, it's like they're they're going to the morgue and she puts on a pair of glasses and draws her eyebrows on thicker and it changes her entire like everything about her it's just her eyebrows like how amazing was that i've just got this image in my head now of just receiving like a series of like six pictures of your face all the same expression but the eyebrows are completely different I might have to do that. I think you'll have to do that. 
some kind of like Jackson Pollock style picture. Or like uh like um Andy Warhol, like pop art. Yes. Yes. <laughs> same like dead eyes. Same dead eye, same headshot, same background or no background, but then the eyebrows each time have got to be different. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna Only do it. the eyebrows are allowed to change. Yes. I will try very hard to keep the same expression on my face. In between laughing. <laughs> I know it's gonna be impossible. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciated them going out for like pancakes and like breakfasts and stuff and what yes. it wasn't explicitly said that it was the Waffle House, but in my heart it was the Waffle House. Yeah, you know, I don't I don't think it was a Waffle House, mostly because of the fact that they had pancakes and not yes. waffles. If they had said they were having waffles, then it 100% would have been a waffle house. But I believe in this instance, it's probably an IHOP, an international house of pancakes. Yes. But I think in like in Connecticut, do they have waffle houses? I don't think in so. Connecticut? I don't think they do. I think no. it's more of a... It's, it's definitely southern. a southern United States thing. In my heart, it's waffle house. Yeah. In my heart, it's waffle house as well. And the fact that Jamie suggests... Like, man, Charlotte, things are getting tough right now. So let's just put all the murder aside and go have pancakes. Perfect. Perfect. And if she hadn't had to kick him out and get into a fight with him, I think she would have been down for some pancakes. Yeah. Pancakes and cocaine are not, you know, too dissimilar. No, they're the same. No. Sweet and addictive? No, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, no because we don't... I have never be, tried class be, A drugs. No, I've never... Mm-mm. No. Already established vanilla. Yeah. I'm vanilla. I'm same. born the same. Same. Yeah. I, come back to me when the addiction is coffee. Sure. Mm. Or if you want a cheese recommendation. Right. Yeah. I got nothing. I'm so boring. It's fine because I have wigs and eyebrows. You have wigs and eyebrows, and I have lustiness for breakfasts and pancakes. That's perfect. I think I'm making pancakes in the morning, actually. Nice. Um. So I, right, can I can I ask something? Yes. Sort of ask something more of a statement, probably. Okay. Comment. Com- commentary. Comment. Yes. <sighs> What is it with police allowing teenagers to solve murders? Well, in this instance, <laughs> he was blackmailed. Fair. You know, it finally feels like we've actually found the justification why a teenager yeah. is doing the job an adult should be doing. Yeah. Blackmail. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was blackmail. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. I was like, oh, get in touch with Scotland Yard and get my references. He's still a freaking teenager. You're still at school. Get some qualifications. We can experience only speaks for so much. Right. Yeah. Pad out your CV. Come on. Um. I. We've talked about a lot of things. A lot of things that we really, really liked about this book. But I um I have a surprise. And it's. It's probably the only thing that I disliked about this book. Minus the audiobook because it I I didn't I didn't love the audiobook very much. 
but that's a whole nother bag of cocaine. I. It's a different class of drug. <laughs> there was just one line about. It was when Briny was explaining how she killed Dobson and, like, we had... Oh, yes, the, the, the monologue, the villain monologue. <gasps> we had found out that Dobson had been coming to see her for a while and that Briony essentially helped him rape Charlotte. Yes. But there's just a line... With Jamie, and he's thinking like, oh my god, you know, how how could she have done all of this stuff? She killed Dobson and didn't even, like, something about giving him a chance to grow up and do better. Like, nah, dog, you rape someone, dunzo. You're not yeah. going to get much better than that. And unless yeah. you, like, go through intense, you know, therapy and you've been you know, incarcerated for some time because you got to be punished for that shit. I did not love that line. No, I agree. That that stood out to me as absolute bullshit. Yeah. Um, spoiler alert for a book that we're going to be talking about in, um, in, a, in a couple of months. Out of the Dawn, PC Cast takes care of that spoiler alert for a future episode mm. Mm. and for a future book reading for you because i don't think that you've read it yet haven't haven't got to it yet my tbr pile keeps i know i know i know it does i know I've it does literally this week this week alone I've got at least five books. At least. See, I try not to add too many because I know that we already have our schedule of stuff that I have to read. But... Yeah, I keep going to the bookshop and they have pretty things. See, I don't have a lot of bookshops around me. I am surrounded by, you know, the library. And I do buy books for the library. But I don't have that same temptation that you have. They're all like signed copies and yeah. sprayed edges and yeah, really, really sexy books. Yeah. I do always have to make time for PC Cast, though. Well, yes, we do have to make time for PC Cast. Yeah. Um, I have access to the audiobook now, so yay. You do? Yay. I bought it. Because, did of course, I did. Library? think probably i'm gonna say library because library's mint libraries are amazing um can i my surprise is the same but also i'm gonna add in i was waiting the entire freaking audiobook for the second audiobook narrator to kick in oh, the female, yeah, said that and I it didn't, didn't happen to like the last chapter i didn't even and remember like, that happening really and it's suddenly suddenly it's charlotte's point of view and <laughs> I, I cannot that. even remember what it said. She was correcting everything that Jamie wrote because, of course, Jamie has written all of this down because that's what the story is. But no, she goes back and she corrects all of his mistakes. One of my favorite things that she says, it's just like a list of things, is that 
she does not sound like Winston Churchill or something like that. She's like, I'm not Winston Churchill. I'm Charlotte Holmes. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. This is that last chapter again. Yeah. I was waiting for it and then it kicked in. And I think I might have been driving home at the time from work. <laughs> You're like, what is this? And I was like, what, what? Oh, now she's here. Now she's checked in. So it does make me wonder if the other ones are going to be, again, predominantly from Jamie's point of view or if we are going to get a little bit of Charlotte. I would love I a know. split POV book. I would. I don't... There's a reason why the Holmes books are written in um, by Dr. Watson from the Watson perspective. Because who wants to be in that mess of a head? It, I think it would just be stream of consciousness all the time. Yeah. You know, ob- literally observing everything and seeing everything around you and deducing everything about everybody. It's like... And then adding in the, c- the cocaine. Yeah, like, adding in the coke. I... Every, suddenly everybody's sprouting wings. I just imagine that it's... it turns into a musical. <laughs> no, no, what it is. I imagine that it is... When Bella wakes up as a vampire and she like zooms in on stuff across the room and she sees like the dust motes in the air and she sees oh the text God. on the painting on the wall and then like three levels of macro zoom in on it. Do you know what? I've been spending far too much time on shit posting Twilight. Oh God, I love it so much. I love it so much. I, I I told everybody about this work when we did the Twilights and nobody paid attention to me. Yet again. Um, anyway. anyway. anyway can, can, the other thing that I really enjoyed as well, before we move on to other things, <laughs> the completely obvious secret underground murder room in the basement. Really? You think Sh- you think Charlotte Holmes is going to be that bloody obvious? Really? No. Give us some it was so, Yeah. That was great. I enjoyed it. That was that was silly, but in the good way. Yeah. And she's like, well, yeah, that shirt is mine. But if you take even half a second to look at it, you'll realize it's never been worn. And they're like, oh, damn. Oh, yeah. And then it zooms in on it with the macro zoom. And you can see a bead of sweat coming down, <laughs> zooming in on whatever, because Charlotte Holmes... Zoom in on the fingerprints. Yeah, that's where I was doing drugs with my deal a few weeks ago. Yeah, yep. <laughs> that is when I was a coked out tween with hormones. Yeah, zoom in on the wet patch. Yeah, that was where I drooled because I fell asleep. Yep. Zoom in on some sweet packets. Well, I got the munchies. Yep. <laughs> Can we play Would You Rather now, please? Zoom in on some random dirt. That's that's rat droppings. We're in a brace and come on. Yeah. <laughs> It's scat. Anywho, I've been I've been watching cryptid programs and they talk about scat a lot. I don't want to talk about scat. Mothman was hilarious. <laughs> it's time for Would You Rather, Claire. Okay. We asked on social media, would you rather be Watson or Sherlock? Thank you, Facebook and Instagram. You were split at 50-50. Sons of bitches. TikTok, you've ruined the pattern. It was 59% to Sherlock. Yay! (laughs) 
We have some comments. Colin on Facebook said, Sherlock, without a doubt, I might as well use this messed up brain of mine to do some good. Plus, I've always wanted to play the pipe and smoke a violin. Hang on. Is Colin a coked out tween? (laughs) No. on Facebook said I'd rather be the sidekick doctor who watches and records everything leave someone else to be the famous dysfunctional face of the operation Vincent on Facebook said I sure could use some Lord and right about now is Vincent a coked out tween Coral on Facebook said nothing like being a great sidekick. <laughs> Books from Fairies on Instagram said, Watson, I think at least you have a balanced life. Help resolving mysteries, find love, help patients. Mm. Our Skedge on Instagram said, Watson, 100%. I think being Sherlock would be tiring as you notice everything all the time. And then I add as an aside... As Bella waking up as a newborn vampire. Yes. Yes. I'm still undecided. Do we have any help from the library with comments or not? We do. Um, There's a few. There's a few comments. Um, And I have them here, but I have to zoom in on them more because it's written with a bad marker. Zoom in like Bella. I have, to, I, have to, I have to mac- I have to macro zoom. Okay, if we're talking black and white version, Sherlock, because he was super cool. If we're talking Benedict Cumberpatch, or however you spell it, I'd rather be Watson. He tends to be in significantly less danger. True, true. Someone else said, Sherlock, I was not put on this earth to be a sidekick. <sighs> Not to say I don't appreciate them. No, no. Someone else said, Sherlock, I have a mind palace. Oh, rather. And finally, Watson, I feel like I exude sidekick energy. Okay, so what I'm hearing here is there's two people in the library who need to team up with yes. a Sherlock and a Watson. Yeah. That's, that's my take. Yeah. Agree. Right. I don't. I don't know who, who they are. We need to make this happen. We need though. to make this happen. Yeah. I would. Okay. I may have to talk this out a little bit. Okay, that's fine. I would love it on face value to be the Sherlock. Mm-hmm. You know, be the brains, have the brains. You know, make these brilliant deductions, solve the mysteries. Wonderful. But then. I do not want to be hopped up on crack and completely dysfunctional yeah. when I'm not solving a mystery. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's 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 the key thing here is that we don't want to be coked out tweens with hormones so obviously we're both watsons yes but which watson would you like to be ah let's go let's go movies which watson do you want to be 
there's the top three I can think of are um no I don't know that guy's name I don't know the guy's name from the Enola Holmes one because I was thinking of Sam Claflin but that's not he was not Watson anyway so that guy from Enola Holmes who was Watson to Henry Cavill Sherlock but can I throw Lucy Liu into the, the mix as well Sure. Because in elementary, she was Dr. Watson. Yes. Um, and then there's Benedict Cumberbund, Cucumber Patch, and Martin Freeman, which I really like Martin Freeman. And yes. then uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law are the ones that yes. just immediately come to my head. However, I also need to throw in, and I'll get wrong off my mum if I don't, the Jeremy Brett um, Sherlock Holmes where David Burke is dr watson because i was raised watching those which were excellent um hmm. i'm gonna go with the lucy lou okay dr holmes dr dr holmes dr watson mm-hmm. because she was brilliant as the Dr. Watson, she was absolutely brilliant. She was logical. She could solve things on her own. She wasn't dependent on Sherlock. Mm-hmm. It felt like the relationship was... We always associate that. Associate Sherlock as front and centre yeah. and Watson is the psychic. But I felt like their relationship was a bit more on the even front. Yeah. So I'm going to go with the Lucy Lou from Elementary, Dr. Watson. However, don't mind the Jude Law, Robert Downey Jr. Because I would smooch Jude, I would, I would smooch Robert Downey Jr. Right, of course. And if we're going to go for the homoeroticism, that is ripe in the Sherlock. Yeah, I would Jude prefer Law. that relationship than the Bandersnatch, Cucumberton, whatever I said a minute ago. That version. I like Martin Freeman, but I don't like Benedict Cumberbatch as much as everyone else does. Yeah, I don't mind them. They're the good. I think once you've watched them once, you've watched them. Yeah. Whereas the, like the Robert Downey Jr. movies, I could watch a few times. Yeah, they're really fun. I like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Next question. Is that not a would you rather? <laughs> Would you rather find out that someone's been video recording you without your knowledge or audio recording you without your knowledge? Audio recording, because no doubt will catch me singing really badly more often than not. And ha to them. If you're going to do it illicitly, then you're going to feel the pain of my singing voice. That's fine. And it feels a little less intrusive than actually seeing me in what is essentially my private domain, probably getting ready and, you know. Yeah, I awkwardly dance around without a lot of clothes on a lot in my house. Sims. Sims. So, yeah. 
I always say it goes on the privacy of my own house. If my curtains are open and you're looking in, that's on that's you your fault. because I'm in my that's house. That's your fault. Yeah. But it's a little different when it's a video recording. That's that's very intrusive. Yeah. So I'm gonna. I think audio is probably less. Also, like we audio record each other all the time. Yeah. Constantly, so we're used to that, I guess. Just lots of snoring and farts. <laughs> Singing, farting, snoring, sneezing. I have not stopped all day today. I probably brought the recording equipment out couldn't stop this morning i was trying to log in for work and i could not stop sneezing type my password in six times honestly <sighs> so i would blow them i would blow their ears out ha head for warning it's fine <laughs> <sighs> would you rather have vulture skeletons or a jar full of teeth. This is, this is an question. unfair question. This though, is not a question. Because you are very likely to have both. Both of them already? <laughs> Whose teeth is it though? Well, the ones that I'm currently working on are 3D printed. So, uh, yeah, three. Uh, I'm going to have a jar full of teeth. I've already got a box of teeth. Now, look, at, I don't, that creeps me out mothers keeping their children's teeth i think that's disgusting i don't know what to do with it i think they're disgusting i don't know what to do with it it feels wrong just to throw them in the bin i don't know if anybody can tell me what to do with them i i would appreciate but Mm -mm. right now they're in a box in a drawer Mm -mm. each one's wrapped up in tissue Mm -mm. thank you very much don't know what to do with them but at least i have genuine teeth i'm like you know, yeah, I mean, my teeth are going to be fake, but it's going to be more artistically pleasing. Oh, mine are not for artistic. Mine, mine are hidden away. I do. Answers on a postcard. What do you do with them? I feel it's weird tossing them away, but it also feels weird having them. Bury them. <gasps> oh, shall I wait till they all come out and then bury them, and then I'll plant a tree over them, and then I'll have a tooth. Teeth tree, yes, and they will, da- or you could just tie them to the branches of trees. We've experienced that in Harrow Lake. Yeah, that's an idea. Okay. Save that for like October, out. though. For- yeah, I'll, I'll go. I'll go after I finish recording. I'll go and pull the rest out. It's fine. Yeah. Do you have like a pliers? Yeah. Or you wrap the string around doorknob. Doorknob. Yeah. Please don't pull out your child's teeth. I am not going to pull out my child's teeth. <laughs> they can fall out naturally. It's fine. I am not going to help them along. I would be fine with you tying them to strings and putting them in a tree, though. Yes. Please go on. At the moment, it will be a bonsai. <laughs> it's fine. Would you rather... Let's move on. <laughs> yes. This is something that that was mentioned a lot in the book, but we didn't mention it in the summary necessarily. Would you rather smell like cotton candy or roses? This is your perfume. Cotton candy. I think the smell of roses can be very overpowering and quite cloying. Yeah. My mum used to have, like in the house I grew up in, my mum had huge pink rose bushes. They were massive. 
the thorns on them were the size of your finger they were huge and the flowers were massive and if you went past them when they were in full bloom it was so strong the smell so it's not like it's a bad memory i just it's a memory where i just i know it's it's quite cloying and it sticks so i'd rather have cotton candy I think if it was the actual smell of actual roses and not a like artificial perfume style, I might I might be more okay with that because I feel like the artificial smell like your giant rose bush would be too cloying. Yeah. In general though, I don't like that like flowery sweet smelling mm, no. like perfumes i even a bouquet of flowers sometimes i've had them and i've now and again you know i get the smell of the flowers i'm like oof that's a bit strong yeah i i am a person who like i don't i don't spray perfume on because i i have smell sensitivity like if i have a migraine every i can smell every single smell and it make, like makes me want to vomit but i do use a lotion that is scented and it is eucalyptus and spearmint mm, nice and i like that it's not sweet though no i like smells like clean smells like smell of soap like or um, talcum powder. I don't that like a powder. Like... I don't like a powder. No, I don't like it as the powder itself. But I like the smell no, of I it. I don't like the smell of it. I had. I actually had um, liquid talcum powder once. That was quite fun. Um, <laughs> didn't use it properly. I just kept rubbing it on the back of my hand and smelling it. But um, <laughs> it was a novelty. I like that clean smell. Like you know when clothes are freshly laundered. That's a good smell. That smell. That's a oh, good smell. I mean, it's 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 probably a very British thing, but we hang our washing outside to dry in decent weather, and you can smell the cleanness of it, like the wind and being yeah. through. That's nice. I like those clean smells. Yeah. But yeah, I'm like yeah, I don't. I've got perfumes and scents, but I use them so infrequently. Yeah. What's our last question? Would you rather? investigate the speckled band or the blue carbuncle or the dying detective in this book or in actual stories you know how would you how would you rather as well i'm going to master of my own universe i think i'm gonna go with this story this story's version of these things and i'm gonna go with the speckled band because fuck dobson and i'm glad he's dead (laughs) that guy was a dick do you remember in jurassic park when he goes Dobson! Dobson! We've got a Dobson over here! 
every time the name Dobson is ever said, that's exactly that's what goes through my you. head. Know that every time we have said the name Dobson <laughs> in this entire episode, in my head, I'm going, Dobson! We've got a Dobson over here! <laughs> so know that's happened. Um, I appreciate it. It's probably not the answer that I should have said, though. I don't know. Probably should have said the blue carbuncle because Elizabeth did not die. Yeah, if you're going for this one. Yeah. Well, in the in the story, it was a goose. <laughs> it was a Christmas story, wasn't it? Yes. Um... I wouldn't want to do the dying detective because that's terrifying that Jamie almost died. And, like, he immediately almost died. It was within 24 hours he was going to be dead. I don't think I could handle that much pressure. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with Speckled Band. I am leaning towards a dying detective. Is that really bad of me? No. Because it, it's just... No, it's fine. I'm going to go with the... Yeah, screw it. I'm going to go with the dying detective. It's fine I mean, as much as I would like to do the blue carbuncle with the goose. It's fine if you want your best friend to die, Claire. No, I don't want my best friend to die. No, oh, but can I, can I mix the blue carbuncle and the, with the modern... Yeah, I'm the Lord and Master. I'm going to do... I'm going to pick the blue carbuncle. But I'm going to mix... Mix it up and I'm going to have a goose. You want a goose to go with you to homecoming. Yeah. I want it to be a Canadian goose so it's really angry. Okay. I and want it to be the goose from Untitled Goose Game. <gasps> that, is that not a Canadian goose? It heart? probably is. I love that game. Me too. Yeah, I'm going to go with Blue Carbon Couple with a goose. Why the heck not? It's great. <laughs> okay. Favorite final thought quote. What do you got? Oh. Hi! I said in my usual stupid way. <laughs> uh, sorry, that is a genuine quote from me as well. It is. Um, <laughs> anyone who uses a vanity font on a death threat is far too confident to think they're under suspicion. <laughs> Better than using windings. Ew, Comic Sans. Ugh. Ugh, imagine getting a death threat in Comic Sans. Uh, the ultimate insult. Uh, or Papyrus. Papyrus is also uh, bad. It's like, your death threat's uh, a basic. Uh, it's all injury, isn't it? Uh, I swear to God, I will die on you just out of spite. <laughs> I am that spiteful sometimes. I think I'm not petty and stubborn. I would do that. Yeah. <laughs> Is that all you've got? Yeah, that's all I'm going to give you. Okay. I could. I could probably give you more, but I'm going to be nice. It's bad form to be dressed as a burglar on the night of anyone's murder, much less that of someone you hate. <laughs> it doesn't look good. It 
doesn't. It doesn't. You're no tortured artist. More of a wiry librarian. I suppose that's not all bad. <laughs> you can't be a bad person because you're a robot, remember? <laughs> a giant robot. A giant terrifying robot. <laughs> My last quote. Holmes had lit up her jar of teeth from behind. It was, I thought, her version of hanging fairy lights. Yes. That's <laughs> home decor. That is Amanda's home decor. It is. It's going to be. I'm really doing it. Fake teeth, though. Fake teeth. Fake teeth. She says it's fake teeth, but it's plausible deniability. That's why I'm saying it. They may or may not be fake teeth. If you liked this, try this. What are you going to suggest? I am going to suggest a book that is not yet published. It's coming out on the 14th of September this year. I already have my pre-order in and it's a sexy, sexy spread edge version because, um, because that's what I'm hot for at the moment. Yeah. Because that's what exactly. Yeah. It's called Every Exquisite Thing by Laura Stephen and it's being um advertised as a feminist YA horror thriller romance retelling of the picture of Dorian Gray. Which to me sounds great. Yes. So the summary from waterstones.com. Penny Paxton is the daughter of an icon. Her supermodel mother has legions of adoring fans around the world. And Penny is ready to begin her journey to international adoration. Starting with joining the elite Dorian Drama School. When Penny's new mentor offers her an opportunity she cannot refuse to have a portrait painted by a mysterious artist who can grant immortal beauty to all his subjects, Penny happily follows in the footsteps of Dorian's most glittering alumni, knowing that stardom is sure to soon be hers. But when her trusted mentor is found murdered, Penny realises she's made a terrible mistake. A sinister someone is using the uncanny portraits to kill off the subjects one by one one as more perfectly beautiful students start to fall penny knows her time is running out it's a seductive and searing exploration of beauty identity and what the pursuit of perfection can truly cost Ooh. it's got lots of murders in and it sounds fun Ooh. yeah that sounds like lots of fun <laughs> it does I'm, I'm quite excited for it what have you got i found a book called People Like Us by Dana Mele and I got mine from a list on Book Riot for what to read after you finished the Charlotte Holmes trilogy. Ah. Okay. So this one, People Like Us. Kay Donovan may have skeletons in her closet, but the past is past and she's reinvented herself entirely. Now she's a star soccer player whose group of gorgeous friends run their private school with effortless popularity and acerbic wit. But when a girl's body is found in the lake, Kay's carefully constructed life begins to topple. The dead girl has left Kay a computer-coded scavenger hunt, which, as it unravels, begins to implicate suspect after suspect until Kay herself is in the crosshairs of a murder investigation. But if Kay's finally backed into a corner, she'll do what it takes to survive. 
Because at Bates Academy, the truth is something you make, not something that happened. Ooh. Ooh, I really like that, that last line. Good too. Yeah, I liked that last line quite a bit. Lots of murder. 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 It's a murder. Do we have do we have any murder in you and Indie Spotlight? We probably do. <laughs> um, I picked one, tenuous link. It's called A Multitude of Dreams by Mara Rutherford. And I chose this one because it's another retelling, which seems excellent. very fitting. Not tenuous at all. That's why I went with mine. <laughs> In this gothic <laughs> fantasy retelling of Edgar Allan Poe's The Mask of the Red Death, with a bloody twist, the author of The Poison Season gives us a dual POV story set in a plague-ravaged world about a commoner posing as a princess, a destitute gentleman posing as a prince, and the web of lies they must navigate to defeat the monsters coming for them both. Ooh. Comes Dun -dun -dun. out... August 29th. So, Ooh, very weeks. soon. Very soon. Very soon. Nice. Okay. Nice. That sounds good. So, that's it for this episode of Fictional Hangover. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire. Join us next time as we discuss Vamps Fresh Blood by Nicole Arend. Look out for our Would You Rather polls on social media. Don't forget about our book club and monthly challenges on Facebook. Be sure to visit our shop on Redbubble at fictionalhangover.redbubble.com for all your favorite fictional hangover-themed merchandise. And become a patron of ours on Patreon at patreon.com slash fictionalhangover. Until next time, remember, the only cure for a fictional hangover is another book. You can find us at fictionalhangover.com. Follow us on Instagram, threads, TikTok, and YouTube at fictionalhangover. And find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fictionalhangover. If you like this episode, check out our others and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss out. And finally, special thanks to Liz Emerson for our music. You can find her on Facebook and Patreon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>